Reunion of the Unwanted back September 13th, 2021. Ricky, oh my God. I guess it goes over to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in. One thing I keep forgetting is uh, just giving people the update on where we're live streaming. A lot of people are wondering, like, where is it live streamed? Where can I find the videos? The videos are live streamed on Rockfin. And then within like a day or two, it's available everywhere. The RSS feed. Anywhere you get RSS feed, you can find it. But if you want to watch the videos, go to Rockfin. And then eventually, I think also uh, it ends up on Odyssey. But go to the unionofdunwanted.com. You can find links for everything and anything. There's merch, all our links, video, audio, all that stuff. So uh, with that said, let's talk about 9-11, right? 20th anniversary. Isn't it crazy that the world is so nuts that... Like the 20th anniversary is almost like one of those things that it's like, it's not the biggest topic, the, the hottest topic right now, because there's so much going on with vaccine passports and masks and all this stuff. But uh, I, I think it's still relevant. And it's also uh, has a lot of similarities. I don't know if you guys watched Corbett's documentary. He did. Uh, oh, OK. And uh, from who let the dogs out? Corbett's oh. documentary. <laughs> about COVID and 9-11. I think it was like Homeland Security to something, but uh, really good. And it just showed the, the similarities. But let's get uh, everybody's personal stories. Uh, how old were you guys when you when 9-11 happened? Was it uh, something that you remember? Uh, or you did you understand how important it was at the time? Or much like myself, I was young. So I didn't understand it at the time until years later. I was valet parking at a hotel. When I walked up and, you know, the, the uh, guy who's running valet was like, we've we've been attacked. And I'm like, what? He's like, yes, planes hit Bill. I'm like, holy shit. And then I had to sit there all day in valet. And it's just I'm like, why am I sitting here and working right now? Something crazy has gone on, which is my whole opinion of like what 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 what's going on in comedy right now? Like, I love there's so many of my friends that I love comedically and as human beings. But they just act like nothing's happening right now. And it's just like so much of entertainment is the band on the Titanic. They're just playing as the as the ship is fucking sinking. And they just act like nothing's going on. And they're putting out vapid, just just numbing comedy like nothing's happening. And it just it's it's kind of mind blowing to me. But yeah, I mean, I, rem and I remember thinking right from the start. This doesn't even make any sense, dude. It just doesn't make any sense. And, you know, over time, I've kind of just sat there going, you know, it's when you, from the moment you're young, you get brainwashed that the U.S. military is the greatest military on the planet. And then you just look at everything that's happened and it's like defeat, 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 defeat. And it's not that the military is a problem. It's just the leadership. You have to ask yourself, are they trying to win? Are they really trying to win or are... Is this like major league where the owners are trying to throw the throw the season? And, and, and it's just like, you know, we've had a, a president assassinated. We've had two elections stolen. We've had uh, numerous wars, which we ended up not winning Vietnam, uh, uh, Afghanistan. And it's just you wonder, like, what, what exactly are, are do we have a, a defense or do we have an offense? Are we a really good offense that we? When the international banking couple wants us to go and destroy brown people, like, are we really good about that? That's kind of how I see everything, man. But that's I was I was valet parking. 
I was working at a hospital and uh, I was an AV technician and I was listening to Howard Stern and uh, I heard it on on the radio as Stern talked about it. His hairdresser, Ralph, called up and said there's a, there a big fire at the World Trade Center. They kind of blew it off for about a minute until they saw a video feed and then live on the air, um, you heard the crash. Uh, they talked about the, the second plane impact. I had... I, I had TVs all around me so I could quickly run to a TV and checked it out, basically saw it live. And I was like, Oh shit. Um, I was like 23 at the time. And, uh, you just don't know how to feel about it. it. Everything felt surreal. So I was trying to get more and more information. And I remember a lot of like the stories that are coming out because hopping online and there were rumors that there was a bomb at the, the, the DC mall. And you heard all these like rumors of other things going on and you couldn't make sense of it all. But I remember going home after work, and I lived fairly close to a gas station, and I, I saw lines of cars that they lined up to get gas, and they jacked the gas prices. And I was like, I can't even get gas. Screw it. And it just was panic and couldn't make sense of it. But then I started to examine some of the stuff uh, about a year or two later, listening to Coast to Coast AM with George Nury and Art Bell and Alex Jones would call up and I was like, okay, let's start taking a look at some stuff. And that's when it started to, the official story started to unwind for me a little bit. I was 28. I was living in Manhattan Beach, California. I was working for Donnie Deutsch's ad agency on the Expedia.com account. And if you can imagine, nobody wants to plan their travel after 9-11. So the next day I was in canceling millions of dollars worth of ads that we had planned to run all over the place. And I watched it with my roommates uh, and we just felt like everyone else felt like, what happened? Who did it? How could this have happened? We had misplaced anger and frustration. It didn't see in the days afterwards, the Osama bin Laden, this guy in a cave thing seemed a bit fishy to me, but I must confess, I didn't have it all figured out. I didn't understand the depths of the government's depravity and how the media are co-conspirators and a lot of these things. I just didn't know. I was blissfully ignorant. And uh, But later, you know, years later, a couple years later, that ultimately was what woke me up to how the world really works and that what you see on TV is not as as it appears. You'd think you'd know that. You'd think I'd know that living in LA as long as I did. You'd think I'd know that it was all fake on TV, but I really didn't. When it came to the news, I still assumed that they were, yeah, maybe they had an agenda like Fox leans a little right or whatever. But for the most part, I didn't think that they were making up the news like wholesale, and yet they were. And so um, 9-11 had that impact for me a couple years later. And I wonder if, uh, and I've been wondering this as we go through this new agenda of COVID that we're all tired of talking about, but I wonder if it will have the impact on a, a new batch of people the way 9-11 did to me, which is to say that maybe not at the moment that it's happening, you get it figured out, but it takes a little while. And then you go, oh yeah, wait a second. That whole story didn't make any sense. And yet we all just kind of fell into it. So I see a lot of overlap, a lot of similarities. 20 years on, you know, I feel like what's your excuse for not understanding 9-11 now? You know, you've had two decades, but still here we are trying to ex explain to people that it wasn't, you know, 19 Arab hijackers with box cutters that just, you know, pulled off this miracle Hail Mary pass and, <laughs> and, and 
took America down to its knees. You know, it just there's a little bit more to the story than that. Monica, you want to jump in? What what's your story? Was that a yeah? Um, well, I just never believed it until I didn't figure it out until like 13 years later when I was on the radio and I had to report on the Boston Marathon bombing. And as I kept digging in and digging in and I realized that their story wasn't true, I'd always that the Boston Marathon bombing story wasn't true. And I'd always thought that I didn't even consider 9-11 being an inside job because I didn't believe that our leaders would do that. I just didn't believe it. And now when I think about it, I was like, well, somebody did it. You know, it was easier for me to believe like brown people did it. I don't know. Like, I don't even want to think of why it's easy to believe that one group did it, but not the people with actual power and have clearly done bad things. But when I realized the Boston Marathon bombing story wasn't true and I saw whoever it was, maybe Mueller, I don't know, but some FBI guy saying we're looking for these two terrorists. And I was like, but I know who they are. Like, it's in this thing. Like they were identified by Russia. Like, how could you pretend like you don't know? And then the, then I realized that story fell apart and then everything fell apart for me. And I went back and thought about 9-11. And now it's impossible for me to believe that people don't really know it. And I almost wonder if it's kind of like JFK, where everybody sort of knows it, but they cannot. It's like Sam was saying about the comedians just not just ignoring it, pretending it's not real. They don't connect that if everything, if it was that fake and every president since JFK, every president since 9-11 has been suppressing the truth, then obviously the, we're, we are in a kind of post-constitutional, you know, we're in a, we're in a regime that isn't, isn't the America that we thought we had. And I would say that started with JFK, but the fact that people can kind of know that those things happen and pretend like we still have this constitutional world, that's what really blows my mind. It is unbelievable how people will just, they just, I, I guess they just, they've lived such comfortable lives. They'll believe it when something bad or has to get so bad that they'll start to believe, but it's really crazy to me how so many people just do not care that about this vaccine passport in America, while the rest of the world, in particular Europe and Australia and New Zealand and Canada, are having giant, giant marches and riots against it. The United States is just like, we got to be kept safe. And it just, it, it, what is so crazy is like, no matter what information is given, Unless it's from CNN or MSNBC, it means nothing to these people. I, and it blows my mind. And it's it's almost like, why do I want to save you? I, I Why do I want you to wake up? Part of me wants you to, you know, just like feel the blunt of this. Like part of me goes, if tomorrow they pull back everything and we went back to 2000, let's say 15, when things were a little more normal, right? A little bit. Would would that be good for us? I mean, we would we would be like we wouldn't have these passports coming, but that would just give them a chance to take another shot at it. Like part of me is like, I want I want them to wake up, not not the sheep because you're not going to get everybody, but the sleeping lions to wake up and be like, enough is enough. And that's my opinion. I think it's because we always believed in the free press. Like it's harder to fool Russians because they never believed in the free press. And, the, and it's just people believing well. and trusting. Well, the, the other thing, too, like our history in the U.S. Well, I was born in Europe, but 
Europeans seem to understand that dictatorships exist because many countries, like my grandparents, at the time when they were growing up in Portugal, we had a dictator. His name was Salazar. And so they lived through that. I know I know a lot of Polish immigrants that came from communist countries, good friends of mine that are Polish. They understand like that monarchies do exist. Dictators do exist. Like that's a part of their history. They understand that this isn't a thing of the past where you grow up in the US, all, all your, not all, but most of what you learn is US history. And then you're like, oh, yeah, democracy. That's basically it, right? That's what everybody has. And, and they don't understand that. Like, no, this wasn't that long ago. And some countries still have monarchy. Some countries still have dictators. So there's always been people and there's always been people who want to control those people. And that hasn't changed. But I think the history in the U.S. is so small. And they kind of put you in this bubble where you think like history started with basically the beginning of the U.S., and and that's it. You know, and it's true. Like we think the whole world revolves revolves around us. I mean, you want to talk about flat Earth, you know, globe debate. Like, you, you know what? Like people in the U.S., let's try to convince them that the world doesn't revolve around this one country because we think like we're the center of the planet of the it's unbelievable, dude. Like the whole white people versus minorities discussion or any other ethnic group. It's just like white people been history been awful. I'm like. I think you could look at any country of any ethnic group and they, there is a time where they have blood on their hands. It's just it's just psychopaths come in every color and race and creed. And yes, there are white people that did some pretty awful shit for sure. But the notion that's just unique to this country and that the history of anywhere else doesn't matter is mind blowing to me because it just doesn't fit their narrative. And that's all that matters is what is the information that fits the narrative to confirm their bias. And it happens on both sides, both the right and the left do it all the time. The right did this with weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. They just, I mean, I would take meetings with like Hollywood people to pitch ideas and they would come up with these ideas that were just like, one guy's like, oh, they have a they have a fucking underground subway system where they're moving the, the weapons of mass destruction around. I'm like, what? Where's the proof? No, I just, no, I've talked to some, it's like, you just can't buy in to that. You're getting lied to. It really does blow my mind. I was, uh, my dog was barking. And so I may, maybe I missed it, but did Billy Ray tell us where he was during 9-11? Nah, man, I was, I was sitting back in the cut, listening to everybody else talk. What's going on? How's everybody doing? Hey, Billy. Good. Hey, Billy Ray. Oh, what's up? What's up? Good to be Billy here. Billy Ray. So... Um, I was here, right? I'm, I'm out of New York. Um, I live in the Bronx and I've worked in the city most of my life. I went to high school right across the street from the World Trade Center. I got my first official job across the street from the World Trade Center. I used to go into World Trade Center 7 as part of the uh, Alliance for Downtown Manhattan, who got me my first job across the street from the World Trade Center. And then uh, my manager from uh, where I used to work at Century 21 department stores and my manager got a job at The Gap. Uh, across this at the actual world at one of the world trade centers. Uh, I think it was tower one. I don't remember. And, um, and he got me a job. So I worked there for a long time. Um, I have an attachment to those buildings. They, they, I felt like they belonged to me. I really did. So in 2000, I got another job. I got a corporate job, right? I was, I was just out of high school and, and my boy hooked me up with a corporate job. It was it was a bullshit job, but it was, you know, in a, in a corporation. I was working out of the MetLife building. 
That's the building that always gets blown up in uh, in movies. If you watch freaking, what is it? Uh, any movie. Independence that Day. That building gets destroyed. Right, Independence Day or, or freaking the Avengers movies. That, that building gets destroyed. That's where I was working. And uh, I was late to work that day. Um, and my, my boss would always get in my ass. He was telling me, you know, you need to be on time. And I was just a couple of minutes late, nine times out of 10, because of the subway. The subway here really sucks. Right. And that day I got up super early and I decided I'm like, I'm going to get to work on time. There's nothing that's going to stop me from getting to work on time. Right. And uh, on my way there, of course, the train takes forever. I remember punching in at 904. And I'm like, damn, man, I'm screwed. Right. And uh, I walked back to my area where I was where I was working. And the guys that were there was like, hey, listen, man, a, a plane crashed into the World Trade Center. I'm like, and, and the, my first reaction, this is how stupid I was. I, I don't know how much has improved since, but still, <laughs> I, I, I was like, what the hell? Which idiot crashes their plane into the World Trade Center. You can't see this freaking building right in front of you. What the hell is going on? <laughs> this is literally what I said, guys. All right. I was like, this is incredible. What the hell? I'm like, my God, how many people are dead? And then I'm thinking because, you know, I knew people there still. And I was like, damn, but it hit it hit the top. We were in the lobby. So I'm like, most likely we're OK. Shortly thereafter, somebody runs in and says, hey, um, a second building was hit. And I was like, oh, so that changed my perspective altogether. I was like, okay, something's up. This is an attack or something. This doesn't happen just like that. And we were told to evacuate the building. So everybody ran out. We, we spilled. It was like a river of people flowing into the streets. And from the corner, right at the corner where the MetLife building is, you can see the trade centers. You can still, you can see the Freedom, the freedom Tower now. It's not as big as what the trade centers were the Twin Towers, but you can see that you could you were able to see the Twin Towers from all over Manhattan, from the Bronx, from an area over here. You could stand up on the subways. You were able to see them on the platforms, the above ground subways. Um, so anyway, we stood at the corner and watched them on fire. And I was like, oh, my God, I'd never seen anything like it before or since. And I just stood there like, oh, my Lord, like it's it's this is happening. And then I started thinking, I'm like, OK, my cousin is going to school across the street from the World Trade Center where I went to school. He went to my high school. So I get this bright idea to go down there, right? Because I'm going to change something, right? Like I'm going to do something. So I'm going down there. Two of my friends are coming with me. It, it's, it's gridlock, shoulder to shoulder, no cell phones, right? The no cell phones working, nothing. And my, my family was, was worried because I frequent the World Trade Center area. Um, and they knew I used to work there, that I have friends there, that I spent so much time there. So at, at any moment, I could have been there. And uh, they, they didn't know what happened. And I had no way of communicating with them. I got back to the Bronx that day late at night because there were no subways running up until a certain point. No trains. Anyway, making my way down to the Trade Center. And I remember it clear as day. There were so many theories going around. People were talking Everybody was talking to each other. They were just, we were listening, eavesdropping on other conversations, trying to figure out what was going on. And they were like, well, a plane hit the White House or there are planes en route to hit the White House they were talking about. And they talked about the Pentagon, but they also talked about planes um, hitting other areas in New York or every major capital around the world was being attacked. All of this stuff was going on. Nobody knew what the hell was going on, but everybody knew what the hell was going on, right? 
And uh, I turned and turned and, and told my friends, and I'll never forget it. And I say this every time I say this story because it's crucial. I never forget it. I said, I told them both. Osama bin Laden did this. He's the one that did this. And I didn't know who the hell Osama bin Laden was. Besides what I saw in the mainstream media. And I was a kid, man. Like I, I was still a kid, you know, but, but uh, I was exposed to some of this stuff. You know, I, I saw some of the interviews on CNN and I, and I thought I knew what was going on. And I'm like, yeah, man, uh, Osama bin Laden. Yeah, that guy is horrible. And, and he probably did this crap. I'm guaranteeing you. Like a badge of honor. I'm like, I, I know who did this. You know, and I was telling my boys that. And I, I'll never forget it because I couldn't be any, anywhere closer. I mean, anywhere further from the truth. You know, I, I still don't know what the truth is, but I, I that's clearly wrong. <laughs> that, that didn't happen, at least not the way they told us it did. So I, I make my way down to the Trade Center. Of course, I don't make it there. They cut me off at a certain point um, because they didn't want anybody going down into that area. My cousin had already evacuated. So there was nothing left for me but to walk back. So I was down by by the village area. Um that's, that's close to the World Trade Center area. I had to walk back the length of Manhattan, pretty much. Picked up my girlfriend because she was uh, freaked out at her job. She just stayed there. So on my way back, picked up my girlfriend, walked to 86th Street where I was able to catch a train back to New York, back to the Bronx. On that train ride, dead silence. No one said a word. People were covered in dust, covered in dust. It was crazy, you know? Um, and when I finally made it back to the Bronx, um, my mom was waiting for me downstairs. She gave me the biggest hug, right? Cause she, uh, she didn't know what was going on. Right. And uh, my grandma, uh, tells me she goes in Spanish, by the way, she's 90 years old. God bless her. She's still alive today, but she tells me, you see, she's like, you see, this is life. This is what life is about. You're going to experience it again. She's like, this is your first one. You're going to experience it again. She told me. And, and then we, we had the blackout here in New York and then we have COVID, you know, it was crazy. But um, that day, from that day on, I kept believing the mainstream narrative and I was fully invested into watching, uh, um, uh, you know, mainstream news and figuring out what was going on because I wanted to know what was going on. And I thought it was Osama bin Laden the entire time. And I bought the story about the hijackers. I bought the whole freaking deal, you know, and, and, and I never once thought that, oh, this is, doesn't make sense. I, it never crossed my mind. I was just like, yeah, this is what they're telling us, man. This is probably what happened. And that was the end of it. I just believed it. And I think that's what happened to a lot of people. And I think that's what a lot of people, um, that's why a lot of people buy into some of the stuff we're being told today. And we were told back then because of overall trust, right? And, and busy, people are busy. People are living their lives. They're not trying to investigate and all that. So to wrap up, I'll just tell you how I turned into this. Um, that cousin that was at, the, at my high school across the street from the World Trade Center, I handed him Behold a Pale Horse. Somebody handed me Behold a Pale Horse in 98, right? And I read it and I looked through it and I put it down, right? I was like, all right, it is what it is. You know, I tried to do a, a, a report on it in school. It went horribly bad. I got laughed out of class and I was like, you know what? I'm putting this down. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I gave it to my cousin. He never did put it down, you know? And uh, four years after the fact, 2005, uh, I was having my first child. He was born in September, you know, and my, 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 um, my cousin tells me, Hey, listen, everything you know about this is wrong. And I told him, how the hell are you going to tell me that? I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. I saw one of the towers collapse in front of my face, by the way, 
Okay. And I was running. I, we, we all started running. People were crying. I just ran. I, I had no idea what was going on. I saw it fall and I started running. I just started following people. Where people were running, I was going that way because I didn't know what was going on. Um, my cousin tells me, he's like, hey, you don't know what's going on. And I told him, I'm like, tell me where you're getting this information. And I will go there and I will chop it apart because clearly you're wrong. So he gives me some websites of where he's getting the info and I go there, right? And uh, one of them was uh, prisonplanet.com, right? And uh, while I don't, I don't really subscribe to Alex that much anymore, um, that was the place where I went. And of course, davidike.com, you know, and, uh, and I've, I've done work for them uh, for some time now. And, and uh, so I'm really appreciative to both of those. I owe them a, de- a debt of gratitude for what uh, my, my life became after that, right? And I, I went on prisonplanet.tv and I was ready to chop it apart. And there was a, a documentary online because Alex was selling subscriptions to prisonplanet.tv and you saw, you know, he was trying to bait people to come in. And there was a, a, The Great Illusion by George Humphreys. There was, there was a, a trailer for it. And I started watching it and I'm like, okay, this is wrong. That's wrong. There is no evidence for this. And I'm writing this down, everything that they started showing. And then he shows one still frame of an article from the BBC that says uh, 9-11 hijackers alive and well. Right. And I'm like, what is that? And I pause it. And I'm like, that says the BBC. So I write it down. You know, I write it down. I'm like, okay, this is obvious. This is my mental gymnastics, guys. Right. This is obviously nonsense. Somebody created this and put this up in this movie. Obviously, I'm going to search engine it and try to look for it. So I said, I search engine it and um, boom, I find it. There it is. 9-11 hijackers live and well. I start reading the story. I'm like, this can't be true. Um, let me click on the BBC web uh, icon. And see where it takes me. This has to be a bogus website. Has to be. So I click on the BBC uh, icon and it takes me to the BBC. And I'm like, whoa, I have problems. And my life has changed ever since. Right. And uh, my, my, my newborn had, had just come to the earth not too long before September 11th, 2005. And I wanted to be home for that. But I also knew that I could not stay home. Right. I, there was something inside me that told me, I, I can't, I can't do this. And I packed up a ton of articles from a copy. So I, I copied a ton of articles mainstream because I'm like, nobody's going to believe David. I, nobody's going to believe prisonplanet.tv. They're not going to believe this. So I took a lot of uh, the Associated Press, the BBC, Fox News, whatever, whatever people would respect. And I, and I just took them out and went to ground zero and tried to change. I thought I was going to change the world. I was like, people are going to lose their minds when they see their, they, they see this information. And I tried to, to do my best. And I was handing out these articles and people took them and threw them on the floor. People yeah. spat in my direction. They yeah. cursed at me. They said, you're, you're not an American. Get the hell out of my country. Yeah. I got the worst of it, you know, <laughs> as time went on, um, it got better, you know, it got better. And, um, and we had a ton of people out there at one point I was rolling with, we are change at that point. And I think there were 3000, or 4,000 people there at one point, you know, asking for a new investigation on 9-11. Ever since 2005, I haven't missed a year. I was out there yesterday. You know, I, I, I was out there the day before. You know, I haven't missed a year. Uh, I go down there and I do activism trying, trying to, if I change one mind or if I, I get one person to look at the information, I'm like, okay, I've done my job. Of course, I try to get more. But if I at least get one, you know, just to look at it. And I, what I tell them is, because they asked me, they're like, so what happened? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I have no idea what happened. But I'll tell you this. We're being lied to about this event. And I can prove to you that we're being lied to about this event. You know, and, and that's where I go 
that's my go-to. And that, that gets people more invested than just telling them, hey, I know what happened. Because I, quite frankly, I don't know. And I don't think anybody knows, really. We, we're just, we have the, you know, we speculate and, and we have our own ideas and our own theories. But we don't know for sure. So I think the only thing that we really do know is that we're being lied to about this, this event. And it can be proven. It's, uh, it's changed my life forever. It's the reason I'm here. If that didn't happen, I wouldn't be here. I totally agree with that. And I, uh, I know we got some new people jumping on here. But, you know, there's so many people fighting over the specifics of what they believe happened. Instead of just coming together with, hey, the government lied. They were in on it. Who else was in on it? That's all we got to do. Whether you want to believe it's direct energy weapons or Israeli dancing, you know, dancing Israelis or Godzilla, whatever you want to believe, if you just join us in that, it wasn't the official story and it wasn't a bunch of fucking desert people that pulled off the greatest aviation uh, uh, flight of all time. Maybe it was, but I, that's not my personal opinion, but I'm not going to get in a fight with you if you don't, if you think it's a little different. That's my opinion. Well, I can't, I can't stress enough. I mean, 9-11 Press for Truth is one of my favorite 9-11 documentaries because it's not about how the, what hit the, the, the towers or how the, the, the buildings fell. It's about the cover-up. It's about the Jersey women who actually forced the government into investigate one of the biggest historical events ever in the U.S. And, and it was obvious that it was covered up. And like Billy said, like there's a lot of stuff that we can debate. Like we, we have different perspectives. What happened here? What happened there? Forensic stuff. But one thing that can't be debated was that we were lied to and it was covered up. So that's why it's a great place to start, like Billy said, to get people kind of get their feet wet. And really, I mean, how many people on this call? It was the red pill. I mean, and thanks to Jason Burma's and his great work with Loose Change. Uh, you're going to go down in alternative media and conspiracy history with Loose Change. And uh, and I think for many people like myself, that was one of the first documentaries that and 9-11, A Road to Tyranny that and now that that uh that title is he is even more relevant now 9-11 a road to tyranny because i mean boy are we at uh tyranny's doorstep but it was it was so important to opening people's eyes and hopefully the same way that 9-11 had i mean a positive perspective on it was that it did red pill a huge portion of the population hopefully what's going on now will have a, a similar effect. But um, Adam, Jason, I mean, anybody else want to uh, jump in in regards to, uh, you know, where were they and maybe their their 9-11 story? Where were they and, and what were their feelings when it first happened? Adam, you want to jump in? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, I'm Adam Fitzgerald, uh, geopolitical independent researcher for 9-11. And um, my introduction to 9-11 is simple. I lived in Queens, New York. At the time, and I was on a roof and saw the Flight 175 crash into the South Tower. At that time, I was very ignorant about just about everything. I, was, I think I was 26 at the time, 27. Um, and when you're looking at something as obscene as that, it really doesn't affect you until when you get much older and learn about uh, the generalities of the world surrounding uh, such as foreign policy and the things that surround that. Uh, and it has more of a profound effect on me now than it did then, even when I saw it live happening. 
Uh, wasn't about till about 2006. I started uh, after my delve into monotheism, the study of monotheism. I started learning about 9-11 because what did I really know? Uh, I knew very little, even though I was from New York. Um, but I started with uh, uh, two people that I saw online. Now, the first thing I, I noticed back in 2006 was a lot of people were talking about the physics of World Trade Center 1 and 2 and 7. Um, and I was horrible with math and just terrible with physics overall in general in school. Um, I went to City College of New York to study psychology um, and was just horrible with anything mathematics related. So I decided to go another route. I wanted to know who these people were. Obviously, what are, what are these people? What did they believe? What was their motivations? And of course, if you're going by the legacy media, you're going with the, the narrative that they're just Islamic fundamentalists. And um, they just hated our freedoms and they want to attack us. Well, it's not as simple as that. There's a lot more to it. Um, so the first people I started running into about the geopolitics, there wasn't very many, but there were two people that I ran into. The late Justin Raimondo of antiwar.com and at the time, Ryan Dawson. And I didn't know much about them. It wasn't until Dawson started talking about the dancing Israelis. I never heard of him. And I actually said, well, this guy sounds like he's just making it up. So I started looking into uh, Israeli espionage and who these people were. And to my surprise, I never heard of them. I said, wow, this is really a story. But one thing I wanted to do, what I made a mistake with monotheism. Monotheism, I was already an atheist. And I became an anti-theist because I only started learning from people that I agreed with, my worldview. It wasn't until much later that there was an, a biblically literate atheist who basically said, you know, you're too arrogant, too full of yourself. And I really respected this individual. And so I decided to stay off the Internet for about a year and start looking inward at myself. I said, you know, I knew where I made the mistake. I only looked at that part of that worldview because it agreed with me and I agreed with it. And there was a lot more to it. And so I never want, I promised myself I would never make that mistake again. So I looked at 9-11 like an investigator would. No preconceived bias, no type of uh, persuasion either way. What a real investigator would look at when he looks at a crime scene. Uh, you go with the evidence only. However, what I looked at was the geopolitics of 9-11, and it's very broad and expansive, and it's not for everybody. People look at, um, say, U.S. foreign policy. Uh, okay, what does it go from there? Well, the Israelis, the Saudis, the Gulf, uh, there are many influential factors when it comes to U.S. foreign policy. Then I started looking at radical fundamentalism. What is it with these people? What did they really believe? What's the difference between a Sunni and a Shia? Then I started looking at the history of the intelligence apparatus, the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, uh, the Defense Intelligence Agency, the Pakistan ISI, the Israeli Mossad, uh, the Israeli General Intelligence Directorate. All these have a part to play. And it's basically very broad. And there's a lot of reading involved. So for the first 12 years, I decided to read everything I could. And it wasn't just I wanted to believe anything. I didn't care about belief. I want to know. And unfortunately, with 9-11, there's very little in terms of actual information because most of it is disseminated with disinformation. 
whether it's manufactured or just people ignorant and just espousing different beliefs. Um, one day in 2015, my niece, she was 13 at the time, caught me reading a book and she basically told me, what are you doing with the information? Kids say the damnedest things, don't they? And usually it's their innocence, which you can't refute. And I looked at her and I basically was like, you know, what, what are you doing? 12 years, you're reading as much information as you can. And I didn't have any type of database or YouTube channel. And I basically said, you know, I sound like a two-bit gangster anyway. And then like the sound of my voice, because I have a New York accent, it's very pronounced. And um, I'm very security conscious. So I promised from them that I would try to uh, build something that the public could use. And back in 2015, yeah, I mean, I'm horrified at the amount of disinformation that's out there and amount of fringe conspiracies. Now, I am a conspiracy theorist, but I'm not a fringe conspiracy theorist. Yes, there are anomalies with 9-11, um, but what are they? Well, I mean, do you have two hours at your disposal? 9-11 is not summed up in five or ten minutes. And the first thing I did was make a 18-part uh, series called Road to 9-11 with uh, a person by the name of Richard Cox, who is now my co-host at the Darkened Hour podcast. And that took about a year to do and to try and explain in the best I could uh, the leading up to 9-11 in every form possible, through foreign policy, through the intelligence apparatus, through the radical fundamentalists that were involved. All this came and had a part to play in. And um, I agree with the previous speaker, B BRV, or I'm sorry, BFB, I don't know. I just saw his little name there. And um, I want to say that um, he's right. You know, one the one um, piece of advice I could give to people is that just when you thought you knew something about 9-11, you ended up not knowing about 9-11. And to this day, I can say that after 13 years, I'm still learning. I'm not an expert, never claimed to be. I'm still a student right. in this field, and that's the best I could say. And, yes, my YouTube channel, my Dark and Dower channel, and I have a database where I upload files and documents. Yeah, I'm small time because I don't want to be a popular channel. I want a dedicated core of people where I'm trying to influence them to become their own channels. I don't want followers. I want leaders. And I think now at this time um, that none is more important than to have as many leaders, individual leaders as possible, and spread as much um, primary source information. Because to this day, I could say that to my horror, there's too much disinformation out there. Well, uh, I know we're, Jason was when 9-11 happened at a Hooters, probably, or a IHOP. <laughs> I was not, actually. Um, we all know that. I, I mean, I've given the story about where I was. You know, I was in New York. I was upstairs. I'd worked the night before. I got woken up by my roommates. But if you want to hear that, I think that's on the, uh, the Daily Podcast with the uh, New York Times guy. And so Kevin Roos, who did this, uh, you know, pretty much hit job. I expected it. Uh, but I only do these things if I'm able to record them. So, you know, it was like a two-hour interview. And then, you know, it starts out with bizarre lizards, COVID hoax. Uh, his his actual um, write-up had QAnon in it at least five to ten times. Really small write-up. I, I don't even know if it was uh, 500 words. So tomorrow I get him for a half an hour. And, uh, you know, I intend to hit him with, all, you know, things like, for instance, you know, all, all the debunkers and everything, they always love to say, oh, well, you know, 
the jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams uh, myth and meme has worked so well that they refuse to acknowledge the 2,700 degree temperatures that Peter Bukarski, the head of FEMA, uh, told the press. This is September 16, 2001, uh, New York Daily News. They just ignore these things again and again and again. So, you know, I don't know what kind of conversation we're going to have, uh, but I'm going to hit them with a lot of facts. I mean, for instance, in the podcast, uh, when we're discussing Flight 93, you know, he says that this is offensive to family members. Well, Dylan Avery just did a new documentary uh, that he premiered the night before with many family members asking questions. Um, I think the architects and engineers put it on their channel. There's controversy there. Look at Spike Lee. He just re-edited the end and he took them out completely. It caused Richard Gage, he actually put something up today, um, to resign from architects and engineers uh, from 9-11 Truth. I mean, he's a founder. He's somebody who I've known uh, over a decade, well over a decade, probably closer to 15 years. And he's a genuine guy. You know, he's trying to do the right thing. I, I, I'm really disappointed by that. So I think the bigger lesson is that 20 years later, if you challenge the narrative, okay, you are forced to retract or apologize for doing so. And then, or, or you're canceled out. I mean, even like with Spike Lee, it's, it's so tough for me because, you know, you know that he actually, he actually put something in there about Flight 93 in the third episode where one of the flight attendants who had worked with um, these other people after going through and talking about them was asked, do you think they took over the plane or do you think it was shot down? And that person says it was shot down. And because of that, you know, he's attacked in the press. In fact, just for that, before this came out, let me see what we got. I got to find it. It's right here. So, of course, they tell you it's great that Spike Lee edited out the architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth in this piece. But then I believe his name is, what is his name? Charles uh, Curtis Beatty. Okay. He's asked directly whether or not he believes it was shot down or not. And he says, I think it was shot down. And of course he's vilified in the media for that. So, you know, my point is that when you look at this stuff, unfortunately the legacy of nine 11 is don't ask questions anymore, or we're just, we're just going to call you domestic terrorist, right? We're going to allow George Bush who was at best a frontman idiot for a second neocon administration, many of which were in his father's administration, okay, and their policies. And now he gets to dictate, in fact, the headline, you can guys check it out yourself or watch it. Former President Bush says, violent extremists abroad and at home are children of the same foul spirit, further setting up their domestic terror narrative. And it's a dangerous one. Amen. So for, for people who are listening, Jason, and, and weren't keeping up with this Richard Gage story, because I actually invited him on, but he when I initially started gathering guests, he said, uh, schedule confliction, there's something going on. But what, this is news to me. He, he stepped down. He just put something out. Otherwise, I wouldn't say so. Um, I, I was kind of privy to something was going on uh, last week. So apparently after, I believe it was the New York Times, had that initial Spike Lee interview, right? We discussed that, uh, I believe, Ricky, last week or two weeks ago. Um, every media outlet out there started, you know, vilifying Lee. And then they brought up that he was going to have the architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth in there. And then they brought Richard Gage in so they get sound bites about things outside of 9-11, including COVID. And I'm not sure exactly what they were. I think someone uh, linked to a Slate article, and maybe it was Gage himself citing that. 
as one of the reasons for stepping down because he said, you know what, those were my personal opinions. I should have had the foresight. Uh, he, he said there was a long discussion. Anybody can read it. Richard uh, has posted on his social media. So I'm not really breaking any story here. Uh, it's unfortunate, man. And, and again, this is 20 years later where Spike Lee originally in that article says he hopes his film is going to be, you know, the spark for a new congressional investigation into 9-11. I, I mean, at this point, I think that's almost cartoon level, right? Why would we want the criminals investigating themselves again and again and again? Uh, it's unfortunate. I, I feel like many people think that 9-11 has been investigated, but even the Saudi documents that came out yesterday, heavily redacted, many of which have to do with Khalid al-Madar, somebody that we know already had these relationships with FBI informants, somebody we know now uh, with the dark overlord drops that he was named as one of the quote unquote uh, faux hijackers on flight 11 just months before the attacks. You know, we've covered that. James Woods named him, and I believe it was Nawaf Al, Nawaf Al Zahami, and then the other two were unidentified. It was confirmed in this court hearing, which was a lawsuit hearing, which never got, got to the public view, that both the, the FBI got their report, that the pilot made a report, the stewardess made a report, and Woods made a report himself, and that Seymour Hirsch on top of that had confirmed this. This is all Woods' testimony. So where's the headline there? In I believe it was January uh, 2018, January 1st, when those those documents started to drop. It, it's it's a boring, Ricky. Um, you know, I get a little emotional with this stuff too because, you know, I, I've been kicking and screaming about all this stuff. And to take the physical anomalies out of it, I did a film called Fabled Enemies, where again we have Joe Biden on film before he's the vice president talking about his meeting with the head of the Pakistani ISI. General Mahmoud Ahmed saying we did not arrest Khrushchev when he came when he came and then he gets followed up. He says it's classified. He was on TV bragging three days after the attacks that he was either the second or most powerful man in that country. And then the money man that facilitates one hundred thousand dollars to Ada with this guy he's meeting Omar Saeed Sheikh gets convicted of Pearl's murder and beheading. This is a journalist in the Middle East the very first beheading video. And right now he's in a safe house in the UK that gets overturned. None of this is in the mainstream media right now. These should be massive scandals just based on the political figures. And if the media wanted to do any actual introspection into 9-11 20 years later, none of that, none of that happened, Ricky. Uh, real quick, I just want to say something about Richard Gage. Uh, I've had him on my show before. He's a wonderful interview. And the one thing I always loved about him is he never wanted to say who he thought did what. He only wanted to really talk when he, at least when he was on my show, about the physics of the buildings going down. And I always thought that was very honorable because it doesn't get into pointing fingers at people, but it talks about just the amount of energy it would take to take down those two giant, giant, giant buildings. And that just lets you know what you're up against. And, you know, Jason's such a, uh, you know, Jason wears his heart on his sleeve and he's such a hard worker on getting it out. And he, you know, he lives in the danger zone, dude. You know, with, it, with the things that he talks about. Uh, but I have zero faith in the mainstream media ever doing anything other than propaganda for the elites. And I just do not see them 
doing any. I mean, like this ivermectin story that they've been rolling with. I mean, like who still? Li- I, I I really do wonder who still listens to Rachel Maddow after four years of lying about Russian collusion, and now this ivermectin thing. Who listens to it? People in the airport, these blue check marks that are disseminating her information. I don't know because it's just crazy. So I, I, I don't have any faith in the mainstream media doing anything other than being barking dogs for for these lizard people, to be honest with you. I have a quick Richard Gage story because it's just so impossible that this happened, and yet it did. I get invited to a wedding in another state that's a couple-hour plane ride away from me, and I decide to go. My wife can't go. I'm going to go by myself, get a hotel, stay there, go to my friend's wedding, have a great time, fly back. I fly there. I don't know anybody at the wedding, just, just the bride and groom. I get there. The ceremony's nice. I look around to see who I get seated next to, you know, where I'm sitting for dinner. I get seated right next to Richard Gage. Of all the people in the world that I could be seated next to, I go, you're in my book. And he goes, oh, that's cool. I said, no, I don't think you understand. I have an entire chapter called Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. I did an entire chapter on you. He's like, whoa. So I sat there and had a poor guy, man. I just, he couldn't get away from me. I had two hours with him. And I just asked him every question you can ask about Building 7 and about this and that. And, and, and it turned into a great conversation that he willingly participated in, wound up suggesting he speak at an Arcapulco, talk to Jeff Berwick about it. Jeff said, let's, do, let's make an invite to him. A couple months later, he's in Mexico in front of 3,000 people getting a standing ovation for his, for his presentations there. The guy has done amazing work. He's continuing to do amazing work. I just went to his Facebook page and read what he put in there. The reason why he left was because during an interview with Slate Magazine, as Jason said, he made a comment about the COVID thing. And they ran with that as the corporate horror mainstream media does and tried to make it all about that. Look, see, this guy's crazy. He doesn't believe in the established narrative. Of course he doesn't believe in the established fucking narrative. He's, he started Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. That is it's against the narrative as you can get. Are you surprised that he has contrary thoughts than the than the established, you know, narrative of the hour, which is constantly changing, will get you thrown off social media for disagreeing with it a, a day late. So Richard Gage has done amazing work. Spike Lee and 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 you know he got pressure to pull that that part, half hour segment. They took it out. I I don't respect it. I understand that he probably had financial interests and people that put a lot of money into this and he's got pressure from every direction and it's easy to do to just Charlie, pull it out. Charlie, let me say this though really quick. Um, I have not watched it yet, right? But a couple people screenshotted something that I thought was interesting that he did leave in it apparently. Anthony Saltalamacia, who was in the basement with Willie Rodriguez and mm-hmm. Felipe David, who uh, got blown up. He has the segment from, I believe it's one of the 2008 um, forums that we had. It's the only time Anthony Saltalamacia has ever spoken. I spoke with him before and after, and I actually have a different vantage point of that, and it's raw on my channel. Anybody can find it if you're 18 and above, (laughs) because that's one of the things that they actually age-restricted was his unfettered testimony uh, that day. So, again, I haven't watched it yet, but I think it's shameful, again, that he took that stuff out. But at least that's in there. So I'm wondering where he's going to go with that. And I'm wondering if Anthony Saltomacia is interviewed again or that's something that was provided by architects and engineers. 
No? Okay, I don't know. What's up with Jay Dyer? Jay, what are your thoughts? Hey, I'm sorry. I just dropped. I just jumped in. I, I don't know what. Where are we at? What are y'all? What are y'all talking about? Oh, we're just, we're just oh, figuring we out. We're just it solving all. 9/11. That's all. We solved yeah, it. All. We solved it, dude. It was we solved hard. 9/11. I'm sorry. It's shit. All right. See y'all later. I'm out. Okay. Bye. Game <laughs> <Aim> over. <laughs> now, what, what, what? I'm sorry. What's the topic? Catch, catch dude, me up. 9/11. And where you that. were. <laughs> I know that. Specifically, you mean? Well, we we did. Share, if you want to share your story, because everybody's well, shared. No, no, no. The topic is what type of dance were the Israelis doing? That's what we're <laughs> was it line oh. dancing? Was it the forbidden dance? What is the dance you think they were doing? The Macarena? Like, there's so many different dances. The Bart Simpson. Remember <laughs> that from the 90s? Uh, where was I? I was at work. I was mixing paint. I worked at a paint store. I was managing a paint, a, a paint store. And I remember hearing it on the radio. And I was uh, I knew a little bit about conspiracy stuff at the time. I, I'd heard about, read about the New World Order and the United Nations and this kind of stuff. But didn't know anything about, you know, black ops or false flags. And then uh, it was probably a year later, uh, we got a, a computer put in the paint store because, you know, that was basically all we did was watch YouTube videos all day long because it was a fucking paint store, right? So <laughs> you have a lot of downtime. And uh, we ended up watching, um, it was E-Bombs World, I actually watched a clip from uh, Burmese's, uh original loose change on e-bombs world and that was kind of the uh, my initiation into the conspiracy world of black ops and you know espionage geopolitics was was through that was was 9-11 the red pill for anybody here or was it a, a different for me it it, it was was the red pill comment man i just hate red and blue pill i think i think it's just for for me 9-11 was the moment that I realized when I figured it out, at least figured out that I was being lied to, that these people really don't care about the vast majority of us and that there must be some concerted effort globally to lie to the public, right? About something more than whether it be like UFOs, which is the big popular thing. Oh, the global governments must have a big thing where they're hiding aliens. Like it went beyond that, right? There was no Western media that we're asking any real questions. And this narrative had just been pushed. I mean, now we see that on steroids with, you know, vaccine passports and Bernaysian slogans like uh, alone together, two weeks to stop the spread, uh, pandemic of the unvaccinated, right? You see much more of a concerted effort and it's a bigger thing. But at that point, that's what I realized. I, don't, I hate red and blue pills. Uh, it, they associate with Republicans, right and left. You know, you even get into the colors of quote unquote conservatives and liberals. It's not that issue. It's never been that issue. Joe Biden back in the day has been a gangster for the globalists on so many fronts, on so many levels. Like today I was realizing, you know, we're not talking about it much, but our CIA covert missions, Operation Timber Sycamore into Syria are now almost on a one decade, if not, if not one decade. That's incredible. That's something we don't even talk about anymore, you know, and that's the extension of this. So, you know, and on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, I don't know if you guys saw this one. I covered it today. It's uh, pretty outrageous in my opinion, but I, I had done a video where I was like, you know what? It's pretty goofy to me that the so-called head of Al-Qaeda, all right, Ayman al-Swari, guy who's in videos with bin Laden, with him, before the 9-11 attacks, never got caught. 
Remember, they had this guy literally video clips of him in South Park making jokes, right? So then I did a video in November when they said they finally killed him. They said, we got him. And I'm like, yeah, did we? I mean, like, seriously, but you got Abu Ghraib, you got Guantanamo Bay, you got a surveillance state, you got signature reduction. And then all of a sudden, as if some propaganda magician on 9-11, he puts out a video still alive. Like, are you kidding me? Let's let's go on the face and tell and, and act like these people are telling us the truth. You're telling us you're telling me now <coughs> that our intelligence oper- apparatus that we defeated Al Qaeda, the, the heads of couldn't get the lead guy in 20 years. Like it's a cartoon. We li- I, I've been saying it for a long time. We live in a cartoon, but that story should be all over nationally. And it's nowhere. I mean, the things that, you know, are just whispered in foreign media are, are just relegated to trash here. They're not even known. I show people that they can't believe it. Most people think we, we took that guy out in like the first like couple years, <laughs> you know? I mean, he's been around for 20 years, the supposed leader of Al-Qaeda, Ayman al-Zawari. Give me a break. Well, when I say red, red pill, I don't mean, I know everything becomes political and people like to make every topic a political topic, but I just mean like it's the the th- events that kind of woke you up, you know, t- in, in my personal story, it was the thing. I mean, I always kind of believed in some conspiracies and I was intrigued with them, but it was the one event that really like just shattered my worldview where I'm just like, holy shit, everything is a illusion. Everything is a lie. You know, you, you talk, somebody brought up Russian collusion. I mean, what about media collusion? I mean, they colluded to lie to us about you know, 9-11 to lie to us in regards to going into Afghanistan. Afghanistan is a hot topic now. It's like, do you guys remember why we went there? What the justification was? Yeah, it was 9-11. Nobody even cares anymore. You know, so um, and the thing is right now, based on your political views or where you stand on COVID, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, these guys, the the right wing media is the good guys. Like there's plenty of examples like 9-11 where they all colluded and Everybody got sold the exact same propaganda. Everybody was for war. Everybody, I mean, there was Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. Everybody was selling you the same bullshit. Everybody was selling you the same war. And so you can't trust the media ever. You know, so it's right now, it's like some people think, like, okay, maybe Fox News is giving you some truth. I'm like, well, don't forget, Fox News has big pharma every other commercial, just like all the other news stations. So don't, you know, Take everything with a grain of salt. And um, so that's what I mean in regards to red pill. I think now during the COVID era, it's even worse than even before where like you literally can't even bring up ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine without it being a political statement. And it's like, wait, no, this, can we just look at the facts? Can we just look at the information? Like this doesn't mean I'm on one team or another team. So, but I, I get what you mean. It is an issue because unfortunately, anytime you talk about colors, um, you know, people kind of related to that. Uh, Mr. Thermal, would you like to jump in? Um, uh, as far as this, uh, the whole thing with COVID, um, I'm not, I don't really, I don't really focus on it. I mean, <laughs> your 9-11 story. Uh, well, uh, I was, um, well, when it happened, I was in Hollywood staying at a friend's house. I think I partied the night before, got a phone call from my roommate's parent or the person I was staying with, turned on the television. You know, it was, you know, it was in, it was in LA. It was four hour difference. So it was just, I couldn't tell what was going on at first. I could just only see smoke. 
then as time went on through the day, visiting other friends, going over their house, it just, just like, wow. And I think by the second day, I think I was crying by the time I saw all the uh, um, people looking for their loved ones and all that. And then, God, I mean, I even remember what I did uh, 20 years ago today, you know, not on September 13th, I was having my first job interview with Amoeba Music in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, as far as getting involved with 9-11 Truth and conspiracy theories and all that, you know, my first, uh, my first thing that started to get me suspicious, believe it or not, was Michael Moore, Fahrenheit 9-11. <laughs> uh, when I saw that, I thought these connections with the uh, Bush and Bin Laden family was very, very odd. And the way they were reacting, you know, right after 9-11 and... Uh, you know, I, I, I was, you know, I was pretty, I was pretty angry about it, you know, and then, you know, uh, MySpace came around, uh, there was a lot of videos going around, um, I caught on to that, I think my favorite really was Zeitgeist, and then I just kind of got hooked into uh, Ron Paul in 2008, and um, it's like I was hearing about him, he was an anti-war candidate, you know, I was like, cool, and I was just surprised, because I, I wasn't going to vote for a Republican, I thought, my only chances was left because I even voted for Kerry in 2004, uh, mistakenly. But, uh, you know, uh, and then I, I was, uh, then I came across, um, a, we are change LA flyer. Uh, when I went to go to zeitgeist addendum, the film screening and, you know, I'd heard about it and I think, I believe I already had seen, uh, nine 11 truth chronicles, um, nine 11 truth rising chronicles film, from Alex Jones, I guess I used to listen to Alex Jones. I don't anymore. It was only like for four years. But anyways, um, and I just really got involved with that. And then things started to change. There was too many other, uh, I think, too many other subjects being brought into the movement that was distracting. I think, you know, chemtrails was one. I'm sorry if I offend you guys, but I don't believe in chemtrails. I used to. I was, I was good friends with... Um, God, uh, Michael, um, oh, I was good acquaintances, but, uh, oh, God, I forgot his last name now. Uh, the it's, it's the chemtrails. That's why you don't believe in it. It's, it's well, no, no, no. no um, uh, and, you know, I just got, you know, I just, I think by the time Occupy came around, and just got distracted. People got kind of freaked out about, you know, the Osama bin Laden assassination. They didn't know how to do with it. Then our numbers kind of dwindled, and I... You know, I moved away, uh, started, uh, you know, I, I finally, you know, I was listening. I started getting to more into Michael Rivero as I guess I started distrusting Jones more. And then I kind of came across Ryan Dawson, ironically, and uh, started to try to uh, incorporate some of his films. Because then I started a, I started a YouTube channel nine months ago, nine years ago, and I was starting to host other people's films and was kind of tinkering with his films because they were kind of a lower kind of quality. So I was trying to beef them up for our street activism. But, uh, you know, I was gone for about three years from Southern California and the whole Sandy Hook thing took over and it just kind of just destroyed our movement pretty much. Um, even, you know, uh, it, it was just, it was just a mess. It was just, by that time, people were already getting into the Boston bombing being fake and all this. And then we kind of had a, we kind of basically split because, we wanted to do a, go, go, go a different direction with our movement with uh, the leader, Ed Brotherton, what really wanted to pursue, you know, 
getting police reports, FOIAs, to actually start to do an investigation themselves instead of rely on the government. You know, to, to look at how big this this attack really was, this operation really was. So for like the last six, seven years, I started just to put my, my, put my own films out. Like I started with using Dawson's work, but then I started to do mine, started to narrate. So I put out a new film uh, this anniversary. It's called Inside Job, Boston Logan 9-11. And you can check it out. Uh, it's getting some pretty good views. And uh, that's pretty much um, what I'm at now. Do What I do now is I just kind of put my own films out and uh, see where it's going to kind of go. I have a lot of opposition with um, – I have with a lot of other people uh, in the movement. There's a lot of things I don't agree with. Um, but isn't but I mean, I think that's one of the biggest issues with all this is that, especially 9-11, there's so many people who would turn on pe people in the community. It's like, okay, you might disagree, but your goal is the same thing. You're trying to expose a cover-up. You're trying to expose corruption. You're trying to expose what really happened. And yet, you're instead of turning your energy on those people, you're turning it on people in the community. And it's like, we might differ in opinion in regards to some forensic stuff or or what happened here or there, but... For the most part, it's like we still have the same goal. It's like we were lied to. We're in, well, I mean, the longest running war in American history was yeah. was because of that. I mean, they they use a lot of the same tactics they do now. Like what a lot of people agree. Like we were afraid. That's why we kind of agreed with the lockdown at first. They scared the shit out of the public, and everybody was okay with it because they just wanted to feel safe. Well, they did the same thing with September 11th. They scared the shit out of the public. They they had the code red, code orange, all this nonsense. They had um, you know, anthrax in the mail. So people were in such a state of, of fear and uh, just didn't know what was going on that they played on our, our emotions. And you could, the same way a lot of stuff today, we're like, logically, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, how are you falling for this? Well, they're falling for it the same way they fell for, let's go in Afghanistan and Iraq, yeah. September 11th. It's because they're playing on your emotions. People aren't thinking logically. They just, they're so afraid that they're traumatized. And they, I mean, people who were adults and actually saw what happened. I mean, I could just imagine what you're feeling. Um, I remember OKC, uh, when the OKC bombing happened, it actually happened on my birthday on the, uh, April 19th. Wow. And I remember just being petrified. Like I did, I was afraid to go to any public building because I'm like, wait, does this happen often? Can this happen anywhere? Like, and so I mean, people, you can't traumatize people, and uh, playing on on our emotions is is a tactic that's been used forever, and it's constantly being used. And and I think people have to understand that. Like, you know, uh, uh, some of the people that we're mad at, and we want to shake and be like, hey, like snap out of it. None of this shit makes sense. Like they've been traumatized they've been they're they're the people who are driving alone with masks like that's because the 18 months of propaganda telling you to be afraid worked it worked i mean and some of the people are afraid so um i, well, I so some of what you guys have already talked about i'm sorry to interject here ricky how's everybody doing but that that fear-based that trauma-based conditioning is exactly what the social engineers and behavioral scientists have done to us over and over again you put people into that fear state and they'll accept anything I think uh, when it comes to talking to people, I know uh, Sam was frustrated earlier on, you know, conveying like, what's the point of even trying to talk to somebody about this kind of stuff? They're just kind of like going to go their own direction anyways. I will often just send people a clip of Dan Rather talking about the World Trade 93, where he says the FBI may have been involved a lot more than what uh, they initially reported. 
And if someone's curious enough, they just have to watch a clip for five minutes, and it totally changes the narrative of what they remember uh, 1993 World Trade was about. And if they, they, if they take five minutes, they could read Wikipedia, and you realize the FBI was intimately involved and was probably criminally negligent at the bare minimum, and hopefully that'll wake somebody up, maybe. Real quick to piggyback on that, you know, we can we can get upset. Right. And it's a natural thing to get upset when, uh, you know, when you're talking to somebody and it really needs no leads nowhere. It's like talking to a brick wall. Right. It, it, but we're never going to get any anywhere with it. Right. At least that's the way I I learned. I learned the hard way. Right. You, you got to be nice and you just got to plant the seed. People are going to come to the information when they're ready to come to the information. There is nothing anyone can say to change the mind of a person that's bottom line, even with the COVID situation, what happened on 9-11, you name it, they need to be ready for it. Whenever that is, it's, it's a personal thing. So the best we can do is plant a seed and then maybe it grows and they say, wow, I remember that. Or I remember that clip, uh, you know, um, of uh, Dan Rather saying whatever he said. Or I remember that article that I was given that said, you know, some of the hijackers were alive and well, damn, maybe I, maybe I want to look into it. And that's how people come to this stuff. Otherwise, it's it's counterproductive. So I, I would I would advise, and this is just my opinion, of course, that that don't get upset because it's not going to hurt anybody but yourself, you know. So just try to plant the seed and walk away, and let it take its course. Eventually, they will come, and if they don't come, they will they'll never they were never going to come in the first place. And this topic is way easier to talk about now than it was. I mean, similar to the COVID thing. It, or vaccines in general, like vaccines and 9-11 throughout my life have been the two topics that it's really hard to discuss logically. People, people get so emotional. And I think now that we're, we're a little further from the event, so the pictures of people jumping out of the buildings, all these type of things aren't as, I guess, fresh in our minds. And so we're not as emotionally attached to it. Um, we can kind of look at, at it as a historical event, makes it easier to, to kind of cut through the, the propaganda and get people to listen. But often it, it's hard not to, to, for people not to get emotional, because I think it's so hard to believe that, like, if we're good people, you know, I, I mean, I, I haven't done a Corey check on most of you guys, but I'm assuming you guys are good people. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to believe that anybody would do the evil things that we couldn't even imagine doing. And I think people struggle to kind of, you know, take a hold of that idea. But you look at 9-11 and, and that's the thing why 9-11 is so important. There's so many similarities to what's going on now. Uh, people have a hard time believing that they would let that happen or they would cover it up or whatever. You know, obviously people have different opinions on on the causes and, and what led to it. But just for example, some things that are undebatable. I mean, look at the first responders. They lied about the quality of air. How many people, you know, died, got cancer, got sick because they were lying that they you could breathe in that air? I mean, like there's just examples and examples of uh, we're okay. Somebody's on. I, I guess uh, Jeffrey's uh, getting on the train. He's getting out of here. All right. Oh God, you guys can hear that. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, we can uh, hear everything. Yeah. You got, you're I'm on the so phone. sorry. <laughs> I know, but I thought I muted. I apologize, guys. <laughs> It sounded cool. <laughs> I know it sounded like it was uh, on purpose, but what? what uh, so let's get. Do you, do you guys think that there's uh, some important parts of nine eleven that uh, you think maybe need more focus, or what do you guys think are the most I, important? I like uh, like I'm I'm sure Jason Bremers probably has a better example, but I like to tell people about the the put options, the the stock trading that happened beforehand. 
Uh, I don't know a lot about it, but uh, I don't remember a lot from the uh, the book uh, Black 9-11. But I like to bring that up to people. And that'll kind of like, they'll tilt their head like a cat or a dog that hears something weird. And then sometimes they'll say that's interesting, but most of the time they just walk on. But I'd love to hear other little tidbits that people like to throw out to people. Well, I think that what architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth did, since we were talking about Richard Gage, um, what their ad campaign a couple of years ago was brilliant that they ran, not just in New York with mobile billboards and billboards, uh, stationary billboards, but they did it in a variety of cities. And it was real simple. It said, did you know a third building fell on 9-11? That's it. Now, if you know that, if you know a third building fell on 9-11, you go, yeah, it's building seven, whatever. If you don't, and I think the stats show that like 40 something percent of people don't still don't know that last thing I saw, then it's natural for you to, to go, no, I didn't know a third building. What are you talking about? And then you have a decision to make. If, if, you're, in, if you're curious and you think that that might be important to you, you go down that path. If you don't, like Billy Ray said, you come to the information when you come to it. You know, if, if, if it happens, you know, if it happens that way, it happens that way. But I, I found that in my, I've done it the wrong way trying to talk about 9-11 with people that are unwilling or unable to talk about it. And let me tell you, it doesn't work very well if it's a lecture about it. it people tune that out and rightfully so, you know, that nobody wants that. But like architects and engineers uh, did in their ad, they just asked a question. They made it a two-way street. They made it a dialogue instead of a monologue. And it works much better. Hey, man, did you know that a third building fell on 9-11? You could say that to your normie friend. It's just a normal question. It's kind of a, a reasonable question. Did you know a third building fell? And that can start the debate. Because to me, Mike asked, what was it that, that got my attention? Building seven. You know, I mean, I'm still waiting for a decent explanation. And fires in office buildings is not going to cut it, right? That's been disproven. It's horseshit. So, so to me, you know, I, I lead with building seven. I go, look at this. Explain this. Explain to me why the BBC reported on it early. Explain how it came down. Explain, you know, this happened eight hours after the first towers came down. You can't rig a building that. So I need an explanation. Why is this building omitted from the 9-11 Commission report? They just pretend like it doesn't exist. Why won't anybody talk about it? What's the problem? So, so to me, I just start with the elephant in the room, which is that a goddamn building just up and fell down at free fall speed in its own footprint. And nobody has been able to give us a reasonable explanation for why that is, except that it was a controlled demolition. I worry. Uh, I agree. I'm sorry, Monica, go ahead. Just make it quick. But I worry a little bit that the things that seemed totally logical to us that were the science that we knew when, like when my WordPress site got purged so much of the media I had linked to was lost and I had uploaded videos and stuff. And um, even if I tracked down the links, they're four or four. So I kind of thought I, I don't have a lot of time to research. I'm not really going to you know, do the kind of work other people are doing, but I took it upon myself to be a little bit of an archivist of like, um, you know, historical science. So I bought some books, which happens to be like right near where I am. One is from 1967, The Behavior of Structural Steel in Fire. And I have a couple of other books like Free Fall and Evaporation of Jet Fuel. So like for the chemtrail thing, because I feel like you can you can say like this can't happen at free fall speed, whatever. But I started to see in the newspaper 
when there was a fire in London, they said, well, the fire was starting to get so hot that it could melt structural steel because we know now after 9-11 that that's what I'm like, that is not true. And an open flame doesn't do that. So I just feel like I, I try to collect the real old stuff. And once you start buying those things, like very as soon as you do a search for it, it seems like the algorithm makes the price go through the roof. So even if they're really expensive, I will buy them. But I just feel like I'm probably not going to at this point, if people aren't convinced already, I just don't know how to help them. But I'm kind of saving this for future generations to prove to them that the stories can't have been true. Well, obviously, the steel was uh, melted by the fires because that's why they found the passport out in the street. <laughs> uh, laminated passport or whatever it was, paper passport completely untouched. And uh, but yet the the fires, uh, you know, took down the buildings. It, didn't, it, didn't Tucker Carlson say like, well, we know that an open flame can melt structural steel because we saw it. Well, it, it, there's actually a video. Well, there's an old documentary of the uh, the making of the Twin Towers. And they talked about how like they're designed to take the biggest plane at the time like people who said oh they weren't like built for that i'm like what are you talking about I'm like these were built for like i i, I forget what exactly um that the, how they worded it but it was basically like something much bigger than the biggest commercial plane that they had at the time could hit it and it would still be fine yeah it so was a net like the outside was a net basically for that purpose because they knew it was coming and i looked i did look when he said that about what it was the original architect saying what that was for um or what they tested it against and i i looked at the size of the plane that they were talking about and it was the side the planes that supposedly did this were within that size range yeah and, and there's even a, a uh, video of um, i think he, he was on fox news uh trump at the time regardless what you think of him but he has been around construction his basically his whole life and he talked about it i don't know if the video still exists because most like you were saying a lot of things have just kind of disappeared off the face of the earth but there he was talking about he's like i've been i know a lot of engineers i've been in a lot of construction meetings he's like i know enough about construction to know that that's not how a building comes down he's like that fire will not do that and, and two would never happen so my brother and my dad were from new york they did a lot of welding and I know my father worked on the World Trade Center and my brother worked on other buildings near there. And my brother said he was watching it. And when he saw the building come down, he said the, the likelihood that a building would come down under those circumstances, just mind boggling. And then he said he saw the second one go down. And he's like, that's just he just shut off his mind, though. After that, I was like, so what do you think happened? He's like, I don't know. I stopped thinking about it. It's just too crazy. And what, what about the what was the BBC who was reporting towers yes. down before it actually came? Right. Back? And the guy says to her, there it goes. <laughs> like, it, <laughs> like it was behind her and she reported it and then it collapsed. And he's like, oh, there it goes now. Yeah, there's so many holes in that story that it, it, I just have. I mean, even uh, Anthony uh, Schaefer, uh, who who uh, was a part of, uh, was it Operation Darkheart? Or, or was it somebody, refresh my memory? He, he was I, I think, able, able, able danger. danger. That's right. Darkheart was his book. That's right. That's yeah. his book. Yep. And uh and you know, he talked about how the, none of them shouldn't should have been even let on the plane, you know. And it's funny how they paint this picture of their extreme Muslims, but they're at like strip clubs doing coke off strippers and and you know, I'm like, Yeah, they sound pretty religious to me. 
You read Bamford's book. Uh, Bamford even says back at the time his NSA book that the hijackers are already all being tracked by the NSA prior to the events. And if you watch PBS had a frontline documentary on uh, the NSA and it, they actually talked a lot about 9-11 and it's actually one of the it's weird frontlines every once in a while does some really good work and uh, the oh, what the hell was it called? I'll get the t- title of it before we finish. But it was a great documentary and it showed like how they use. I mean, that was just one more piece of the puzzle. They use the justification of 9-11 to just spy on everybody, you know, and that's the thing. Like all these things like they wanted to spy on us anyways. So if you believe that 9-11 was either just a event that they took advantage of or event that they, you know, made happen either way, they wanted to spy on us and, and they were going to find a justification or a reason to do it. And it's the same thing you see now. We're just like. They kind of they they want to track us. They want to control us. They you know regardless if you believe that COVID was purposely let loose or if it's not even you know if you don't even believe in viruses in general it doesn't matter. Like the point is there's people who want to control us and they'll find ways and methods and justifications to do so. Can I interject a little bit here? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, there is uh, an anomaly regarding nine eleven. There are many. And these anomalies are usually not brought up by the mainstream media, as you uh, have alluded to throughout the show, and also by the 9-11 truth movement, who are basically fractured with from within, with competing different theories that they have their own. Uh, debunkers generally are not as sectarian as the truth movement, um, and they basically just generally agree with the, the narrative put out by the 9-11 Commission final report in the FBI pent bomb investigation. But there are anomalies. And I would, one anomaly uh, that I basically like to concentrate on is the NSA and CIA, which also leads to the Israeli Mossad and Saudi GID. And all you have to do is go at the epicenter of 9-11. And the epicenter would be the Al-Qaeda communications hub in Sana Yemen, a house that is owned by an associate of bin Laden, whose name is Ahmed al-Haddam. This house was actually used as the telecommunications hub for Al-Qaeda operatives around the world. In 1992, the NSA had uh, got wind of a phone number from the FBI regarding a satellite phone that was being mailed to Osama bin Laden in Tora Bora, Afghanistan. The satellite phone was an Inmarsat phone, and the number was basically monitored by the NSA. The satellite phone was in use between 1992 to 1998. That number uh, was known to the FBI, the NSA, and the CIA. At the same time, one number kept calling this number, and it was a house in Yemen. That number was now being monitored by the NSA between the years of 1996 to 2001. Now, just imagine for yourself, what were they talking about between 1992 to 1998 on bin Laden's satellite phone? And what were they talking about in the house in Yemen from 1996 to 2001? On top of that, the CIA got wind of the number way back in 1996, and they put a bug inside the house in Yemen. Now, they didn't have a bug on the phone, but they could hear half of the call. And also, they started doing human intelligence or human regarding 
the people coming in and out of the house for five years. This was known to the counterterrorism unit and as well as Alex station, which was a virtual station uh, regarding two um, main agencies, and that's the CIA and the FBI. And I have interviewed uh, Mark Rossini, who was an FBI counterterrorism agent who worked at Alex station. I have worked, I have interviewed uh, Ken Williams, who wrote the infamous Phoenix memo regarding uh, Al-Qaeda operatives flying on planes or training on uh, uh, flight training schools. And you tell me that the operatives inside the United States who were later uh, suspected of being on these planes, how were they being monitored by the CIA and the NSA and not being told by the FBI or the State Department how did Israeli Mossad use moving front companies to know that they were monitoring the same people who would go on to hijack uh, American Airlines 11 and 175 in Logan, in Dulles, throughout the East Coast, in, in Florida, in New York, in New Jersey, while the Saudi General Intelligence Directorate, the intelligence arm, who were monitoring two hijackers that came inside the United States in January of 2000, Khalid Al-Midar and Nawaf Hazmi, without telling the FBI and the State Department for 16 months. How did the CIA, how did the Saudis and Israelis know to monitor these people? Go back to the basics. That the NSA and the CIA were monitoring the calls of these people for five years prior to 9-11. And that, what happened in those five years? The East African embassy bombings, the millennium plot of 2000, even though that failed, um, the Pachinko plot in 1995, 96, some of these plots went through. Some of these plots were stopped. However, one thing was consistent. The intelligence apparatuses knew right from day one what was happening, and that's how they monitored the hijackers inside the United States. And that's how NORAD made those uh, numerous uh, exercises to happen on 9-11. That's how the 9-11 operators inside the United States were able to move freely throughout the United States without being arrested. Ziad Jar was actually speeding in Maryland, pulled over, cop basically let him go. Um, Ziad Jar was actually, who had family members who were later on to be Mossad operatives. His uncle, um, uh, I'm sorry, his, his cousin, Ali Al Jara, and he has a brother, Joseph Al Jara, basically were Mossad operatives for over 25 years. He has a cousin, Asim Al Jara was basically an Iraqi and uh, Israeli Mossad operative for over 20 years. That goes back many years. So to come to think of it, this is the issue that we should be raising. And, you know, I don't know anything about physics. I don't know how the World Trade Center came down. I could give you my opinion that there were bombs inside the basement levels of the World Trade Center 1 and 2, but that's basically my opinion. And I couldn't speak legitimately on the issue. I let the experts speak, and I've interviewed David Chandler and Ross Muir and Wayne Costi on this. Um, but one thing is for certain. Nobody will ever bring up the issue of Alex Station. Nobody will ever bring up the issue of Able Danger. Nobody will ever bring up the issue of the CIA, what they're going to say, monitoring these calls for years and years prior to 9-11. And that's how you can make an argument in a court of law, because that's what matters. Not my channel or anybody else's channel, for that matter, or belief. Knowledge is the key. It's the only way we can get a new investigation happening. It's the only way we can get to a court of law. And that's why most of these truth movements that you see today have failed 
in their regards in the last 20 years that they have not gotten to a court of law and basically made a difference. I'll tell you who has. Two, two law firms, Motley Rice and Creedley and Creedler. That's it. And they're basically, their leeway is Saudi financing that's coming directly from the bank account of former U.S. ambassador to the United States, Saudi ambassador, Bandar bin Sultan, who, by the way, is just a close friend to the Bush family. But nobody will talk about the issues I'm raising because it basically gets to the heart of the matter. And that's unfortunate because basically too many people are talking about no planes or no hijackers or Judy Wood do weapons and all this stuff that basically disseminates and, and absolves the CIA, the NSA, the Israeli Mossad, and the Saudi GID. Because without hijackers, all of this, what I just told you, doesn't exist. Because that's who they were monitoring and that's who they were helping were the hijackers. Now, did I automatically go with the official narrative? Absolutely not. Because the official narrative is just that the CIA and the NSA had no idea what was happening. And they tried their best. Well, guess what? That's not true. And what I'm just telling you is not speculation. It's fact. And you can look it up yourself. And, you know, I've interviewed, like I said, Mark Rossini, numerous uh, intelligence officials who are whistleblowers. Thomas Drake is a whistleblower. Thomas Drake, basically, who is a former senior executive of the NSA, basically is told throughout the years that the NSA had metadata that goes back to 1998 about the hijackers. And he brought it to his superior, uh, Maureen Baginski. And she told him, I wish you had not shown me that. Why did she say that? Because basically now the NSA doesn't have uh, the luxury of denying that they held the information about these people and didn't share it. Well, guess who did the same thing? The CIA. Guess who did the same thing? The Israeli Mossad, the Saudi GID. Did they form the FBI and the State Department? No, none of these people did. And they were given a pass in the 9-11 final report. They were given a pass in the FBI pent bomb investigation. They were given raises in their jobs, some of these people, including NORAD. And these were all the issues. We could point to suspects here. We can try to get a new investigation, implying that George Tenet knew, that Richard Blee, the, the, the Alex Station chief, knew, that all these people knew. But nobody's going to bring about these issues because it's not sexy enough. It's not real enough. And it's expensive. And it's boring. Yes. But it's concrete. It's common knowledge. I'm not showing you any documents in my jacket. I'm not in the basement trying to sell anything. This is public information, but it's ignored, unfortunately. Hey, Ricky, you mind if I jump in real quick? Absolutely. Jump in. All right. I'm, I'm taking off after this. So that's why I just, I just wanted to make sure I, I got this in. Um, uh, the most sexy thing about this is World Trade Center 7. Right. I mean, for, for people that aren't you know, initiated or, or, or that don't know. And you'd be surprised. And, and I challenge anybody in their state, wherever you're at, or whatever country you're at, whomever's watching this, to go around and ask people, do you know about Building 7? How many people will not know? Even here in New York, I went around the other day asking people if they knew about Building 7 and they don't know. But another thing that I found is the younger you get, the, the, the younger people you ask, the least they know about the event. 
So time is kind of erasing this, right? It's kind of turning into a JFK. And uh, I agree with Charlie when Charlie said, hey, building seven, you know, building seven, that's the way to bring them in. That's the honey, right? That's the candy because they don't know about it. And then you show them and they're like, whoa, why, why was I lied to about that? Or, or why wasn't this reported to the level that it should have been, right? If, if, a, if a third tower fell that day, how come I don't know about it? Right. And, and so uh, many people don't. I think I think Charlie gave a statistic about 47 percent or something like that. I, I, I think it's more than that. It's, it's so, so many people don't know. And beyond that, there are the younger generations have no idea what happened. Even the mainstream story. Forget about what we're talking about. They don't know the mainstream story. You know, they just know on the surface. So I, I think. um I mean, it's a difficult situation. I don't know how I don't know how how we remedy this, right? Because it happened with JFK, right? And now JFK is more looked at as an entertainment thing. You know, it's on the History Channel, and they debate it, and they're like, "Oh yeah, these people are crazy," and they just keep right on walking, right? It's it's like an entertainment thing. I feel that nine eleven may end up there. I think we have time to to bring it back, but but we have to do something about it. But I think that. As time progresses, people will take it less and less seriously and really not know what's going on unless there are people that are like uh, like us that that want to dig in and want to learn about it. You know, and um, I want to close with, with, with saying that. Um, Joe Biden recently said that, that uh, nobody's rights matter pretty much. You're, this is this isn't about your rights is what he said in reference when, when he was talking about the vaccine. Um in, in 20 years ago, uh, we, we, we were given the excuse that uh, they hated us for our freedoms. And that's why they did this. They hate us for our freedoms. We are so damn free that they don't like us. You know, that they had to hijack uh, two airliners and or, or fly them into the World Trade Centers and the Pentagon, right? They, they, they hate us that much. And uh, 20 years later, these same people, and they are the same people. These same people are telling us that uh, your rights don't matter. It's not about your rights. This is where we stand. It's been 20 years of tyranny. It's just a continuous uh, cycle of taking our rights and they don't come back. I'm old enough to know because I lived through 9-11. So now I see COVID and I see what's going on here. And it's going to be the same thing. Unless we do something about it. And, and, and let's do it peacefully if we're going to do it. Okay. All you guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate being here, man. You guys do great work. Thank you. Take it easy now. Bye-bye. Thank you, Billy Ray. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Billy. So before we start winding down, do you guys uh, do you basically promote your work? Because you guys have been a, a big part of exposing what's going on and you've done your own research. So if you guys want to let people know your YouTube channels, websites, anything like that, where people can find more about this. And also, if you have any recommendations, I know that we we talked about a couple documentaries or books. If you have any one specific documentary or book that you think like people need to read, that's like one of your go tos uh, to to recommend to people. Because there are, like Billy Ray was saying, there's there's a lot of young people who just don't know much about the event. I mean, I I have a niece who's 18, and we're talking about the JFK assassination, and I'm like, oh, have you ever watched it? And she's like. No, uh, she's like, you can watch it on on YouTube, and I'm like, 
Yeah, it's on YouTube. You can watch it on YouTube. She like was stunned that somebody actually videotaped it and you could you could watch it. So, um, you know, I think it, it's good to sometimes give people some recommendations for documentaries. or. Books. You got to do it on TikTok now, Ricky. OK, <laughs> well, luckily, the JFK assassination video on is, TikTok. A, is short enough. <laughs> it's on TikTok <laughs> with uh, probably some some somebody dancing. And the, the Israelis. <laughs> well, it was William Sapruder that filmed it. So people have made those kinds of accusations. <laughs> so do, do you guys want to uh, just plug away, let people know where they can find more of your work? Well, I, I personally, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I personally would suggest people watching the century of self. It's kind of a, it's a Edward Bernays. I heard Jason earlier talking about yeah. a Bernaysian yeah, kind of a, uh, it's, it's, it's long, but it's like literally a college education not that that's worth much anymore, but just a huge education on how this, the psychological aspect of, of all of this kind of plays out. Um, to plug, we're on the conspiracy farm. Myself, Pat Militich, we really don't do near as much as we used to do. And that's why it's so awesome to jump on with you guys and to see you guys still plugging away. You know, everybody has life shit going on. But um, if you want to check us out, we're at the conspiracy farm. We have a very interesting archive, Edward Griffin, a, a, a list of a lot of very interesting interviews. Uh, we're still going to keep plugging away, but uh, we get distracted. Well, um, uh, I would even add to that, uh, you know, pretty much most of Adam Curtis's films like Century of the Self are excellent. Uh, uh, the Power of Nightmares that really gives the history of the neocons, and I've sampled that a lot uh, for my film on the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. But uh, one thing I wanted to say, say, because it was kind of the question was kind of brought up, like what other things do I bring up um, about 9-11, you know, outside just kind of the norm, you know, most people, they, you know, they focus on the buildings. Some people want to go extra and they go into the Israeli stuff. You know, I, I always do that too. And, and I, you know, I know a lot about that. I very extensively, but nowadays um, I will, I would uh, like to bring attention to them. I'd like to tell them about the extra hijacking attempts that there were going to be more hijackings, not just from the three airports where the planes took off from, but from JFK, LaGuardia, uh, Florida airports, even in the West Coast. And I, I made this into a film as well, but uh, it's not just that, that, that these attempts were going to happen on the day of 9-11, but as soon as the airports reopened and there were attempts of this, and it was on this day 20 years ago, 9-13, uh, I, 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 was, I mentioned earlier about my introduction and what I was doing 20 years ago. I had a job interview uh, 20 years ago today. So I wasn't near a television. I didn't know what was going on. And a lot of people were because you were, you were going through a grieving process. It was too much. But if you were watching television, which I wasn't, you would have seen lots, tons, 14 hours straight of news reports from the afternoon to the early morning the next day talking about arrests at JFK and LaGuardia airports with 12, 12, uh, 12 different suspects, woman included. You're hearing about pilot uniforms. You're hearing about weapons. They're even giving you names about some of the flights that are being targeted. And then they twist it and uh, they basically bury the story and say that everyone got let go and except for a few. And then they're only being held for INS charges and then they're being held as material witnesses. They just basically buried the whole thing. So, my point being is that 9-11, as horrible as it was, 
the unfortunate, the, the scary, scary truth of it is, is that it was going to be worse. They wanted it to be worse. Now, I covered this in a film, and, and this is going to be my plugging. Uh, it's, it's, it's called Bojinka Maximum, the uh, um, boarded hijackings of September 11th and September 13th. It is six hours long. Now you're saying, why would you make a film that's six hours long? Well, I show all these news reports, like these time span of news reports from that 14-hour period plus more. And I cover what happened on the day of 9-11. There was this famous case called even Flight, uh, Flight 23, United Flight 23 at JFK Airport. Jason Burmis, who was even on earlier, he actually briefly brings up this story uh, in his film Fabled Enemies. Uh, I've I done a little bit more extra research on it because these people tried to hijack a United Airlines plane two days later. They came back to the airport. They tried to hijack this extra plane on the September 11th, right before taxiing off, right where they were taxiing about to, to take off. But then once the FAA put the no-fly ban after one after the second plane hit the second tower, you know, they, they turned they told all planes to turn around. When this plane was turning around, taxiing back to loading. Three, three Middle Eastern men were, were, you know, raising hell, saying, take off, take off. And, you know, they created this, 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 this scene, and then they left before the cops went there, and they left all their baggages. And the reports had said that there were fake IDs, weapons, um, you know, uh, contrary to box cutters. <laughs> so all of this happened, and this is something I like to bring up. And, um, the, the, and the important part about all this is that if I'm eluding a huge conspiracy that big, well, we got two problems here. First of all, it's kind of too big for Osama bin Laden, and it's kind of too multinational for Saddam. So who did it? <laughs> so you can check it out. It's on my channel. It's called My channel is called Truther TV. Very simple. It's on YouTube. It's a film I put out in December. Um, and uh, take your time and check it out. You know, I uh, I don't know anything. Uh, I uh, I just run a goofy podcast, and I'm peripherally aware of all this stuff, and I don't realize how much I don't know until you bring up something like that, or when Adam was talking about the intricate uh, details about the NSA and CIA. And by the way, I think that's completely fascinating, Adam. And uh, to me, that's that's the details that I love to hear. But I don't know this stuff. Like I'm aware of all this stuff, but I don't do the deep research like you guys. So I really appreciate it. I, I appreciate uh, you guys talking and uh, and listening to you guys. So um, my goofy show is uh, obdmpod.com. So thanks. Uh, I'll check it out. Um, uh, Adam, do you want to plug something, please? Yeah, this is uh, this is where I don't do too well. Um, uh, I don't I, I don't do very good promotion. Um, but yeah, if you Google my name and you Google nine eleven. I basically just pop up everywhere, but, um, you know, I just deleted Facebook because I think it's a sewer, uh, Twitter I'm on there, but if you want, uh, I guess, promotional educational content, uh, my podcast is the dark and dour. Um, I have a YouTube channel. It's basically my name, Adam Fitzgerald. Um, there's about, I think now at this point, 2,300 videos there. Um, and of course they're very obscure websites, a WordPress, but I, all I do there is I upload files and documents that the public can use uh, for free. Uh, just basically Google Adam Fitzgerald 911 WordPress and I come up and it's like, I think right now it's up, I'm uploading 
3,400 uh, documents and files up, up for the public to use at their leisure. And like I said, all this is for free anyway. So, Yeah, uh, awesome. And, and I found the name of that uh, frontline documentary I mentioned. It's called The United States of Secrets. It's so good. It's I think it's a two or three parter. Uh, you can find it all on YouTube, I believe now. It, I think originally it wasn't, but now it is available on YouTube for free. I can't... I mean, uh, Thomas Drake's on there. He's been on my show. Uh, the Ripple Effect podcast. I mean, his story is amazing. I mean, I, I really have a soft spot for whistleblowers who basically had his whole life torn apart to just basically try to expose what was going on at the NSA, also known as no such agency at one time. <laughs> so, I mean, the, who knows how long they've been tracking and listening. But uh, I'm the host of the Ripple Effect podcast. Uh, I host this uh, show with uh, my brothers from different mothers, Charlie Robinson, Midnight Mike, and uh, Sam Tripoli. And go to theunionofdonwanted.com where you can find all our links, uh, all our channel, or all our, the spots you can find the videos. Audio is available everywhere. You can find our merch, all our personal shows, and, uh, and more. So check that out. Share the show. This is, as you guys know, if you're listening to this, and I know we get lots of downloads and, and most people are listening to this, not watching it. Uh, you can find the videos on Rockfin live streamed every other Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And then eventually within a day or two, counting on how busy we all are, we can get it out available everywhere within, uh, you know, 24 to 48 hours. Uh, so. So thanks, guys. And, and Charlie, of course, also mentioned you. Yeah, you can catch Macroaggressions. My interview this week is with Jason Burmes. It's up right now. We talk about 9-11, obviously. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Macroaggressions, and my website is The Octopus of Global Control. New book coming out in a couple of weeks. I will let everyone know about it when it's finally out. Wow. And uh, Jeffrey, you want to hop on here and, and plug your sites and shows? Yeah, without a doubt. Like I said, it's the conspiracyfarm.com. To avoid certain algorithmic nonsense, we kind of are creating a, a network kind of platform. So you could also find it at um, that podcast network where we have not only the Conspiracy Farm, our MMA kind of based or kind of life based everything combat show, my personal podcast. It's me speaking to you, trying to uh, like avoid being uh, stamped a domestic terrorist. So um, again, that Too podcast late. network. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but again, thank you guys so much for continuing to do what you do, man. I, I, I talked to some of my friends and I don't know if the die has been cast and we're too far down the, I hate to, I don't want to be fatalistic about it, but they've been planning this for so long and here we are, everything we've talked about and kind of speculated about for so long. We've been doing our show for five or six years, the, the, the concept of all of these fourth industrial revolutions. And now here we are living through it. It just, it, it really makes me sad, man. It really, really does. But I'm so glad you guys are still sounding the horn of Gundor consistently and letting people know what's going on. Cause, um, these Listen, are the times that try people's souls, man. And they think, or I think there's way more of us than everybody thinks because, I mean, when we talk to people, I'm sure everybody here gets emails, they get uh, messages on Instagram, Twitter, wherever they are. Uh, I'm constantly getting messages all over the world from people who are angry, talking about people that they're friends with and places that they're, they work that are angry. There's a lot of angry people out Do there. Do they listen to my show? Is that why they're angry? <laughs> that could, no, okay. Uh, but, I, I literally, man, I just, I had, and I'm not, I'm not to tie myself to the, to the tale of woe, but I had three people, I got notifications of three people dying yesterday. 
not COVID related. One was one was a friend of mine's mother who had both had the, had both jabs and still contracted COVID and died from it. It's just, and I think the the blowback that we're seeing with with Biden's announcement the other day about just really naked, just fucking authoritarianism. Let's just say it for what it is. It's I, I'm hoping things change, but again, I think they've been planning this for so long. And unfortunately, I think for us as society, we've let too much shit slide. You know, from you guys were talking earlier how they sell bullshit with Bernays, William Randolph Hearst, Spanish American War, World War One, World War Two, Kennedy, weapons of mass destruction, nine eleven. We've let way too much shit slide, and they're they're expert at experts at utilizing this uh this fear based trauma based conditioning, and they got a super. I, people who, I mean, you guys probably see them too. They're not stupid people, but they're just falling for the oak joke in a way that it's going to become very dangerous for all of us. And I just don't see them uh, letting their foot off the gas anytime soon. So thank you again to you guys for continuing to do what you guys do. And guys, definitely check out Press for Truth, the 9-11 documentary. That's definitely one of my favorite ones. I, I can't suggest that one enough because it's the furthest thing from a conspiracy theory documentary. It is, you know, at, like I said, the the Jersey women, they're all widows who lost uh, loved ones and were basically forced the government to do something they didn't want to do. And that's investigate it and, and do a really shitty job doing it. And they exposed how shitty of a job they did uh, investigating it when they eventually uh, forced them to do so. So um, and then also Richard Grove, who, who couldn't make it, but he was a um, good friend of mine and also a kind of known as a, a whistleblower of 9-11. Um, he, uh, he did a, a great documentary years ago called State of Mind, The Psychology of Control, which is very, very good. I can't recommend that enough in regards to going back historically and how they've always used uh, these specific techniques and ways to control the masses. And, uh, and that just continues. So, I mean, I think that's why all of these events are so relevant because it's a reminder of like, this isn't the first time. Like, this isn't the first time we've been lied to before. They didn't care about innocent lies before. Why do you think they care about it now? And, and for some reason, people believe like, oh, that was then. This isn't now. But 9-11 wasn't that long ago. You know, when people talk about the JFK assassination, that's the thing. It's like, oh, that was a CIA then. That's not them now. It's like, okay, well, 9-11 was right around the corner. That wasn't that long ago. Um, we were all alive to witness that. And that was... Uh, absolutely undebatable cover-up regardless of what you think actually happened and and they went into two wars that ended up with just throwing away taxpayers money and creating a lot of enemies killing a lot of innocent people so it's like and these are the people that now are the good guys like now we think they're the good guys so like they're not the good guys so um but thanks again guys i really appreciate it. we'll end up sending you links to the show uh once it's up and live we'll send you uh the video and audio links so you can share it on your platforms too if you would like and uh and hopefully we all talk again in the near future thanks guys have a great night thanks hey, everyone thank you see you guys